Heritage Media. So I'm just going to jump in and say that this is a podcast we've broken down into three because we had so much to cover with investing. So in part one and part two, if you haven't listened, jump back and listen to those. It is about being a first time investor and it's also about investing as a and being a landlord and what it's like being a landlord and how you manage that. Today, we're actually going to talk about finding the right property manager and the pitfalls and the traps of having so many properties and how do you manage them and what a good tenant is, what a bad tenant is, and also what's a good and bad property manager and how would you know? So sit back and enjoy part three of our investor pod with Michelle and Ralph. And um, mm. and I just want to put the, the landlord hat on for a moment. Um, so... Are there just are there a lot of ongoing costs with you know maintenance that you don't realise or do you just set aside a certain percentage of of cost per property that's just involved in just the everyday maintenance that you know I, I imagine it yeah. just doesn't end it's if it's not something it's something else so how do you how do you manage that? Well, the set aside bit is wonderful in the perfect world. We haven't quite discovered, <laughs> and the word percentage. So this is one of our to-do lists, which we never seem to get around to. Um, look, sometimes we sort of feel you feel like throwing your hands up in the air and saying, "Oh, for God's sake, you know, why don't we just go and buy shares in Woolworths or something?" People have to eat, so you know what I mean, and yeah. and you never have to worry about it. Um, no, I can I can understand people sort of shying away from property for those reasons. But in another way, um, I suppose if you have an interest. Now, if you're going to be a first-time property investor and the thought of, you know, a leaking tap or something happening on the roof just sends you into, you know, sort of a, a fit of worry, then maybe it's not the right thing for you. But over the years, Things smooth out. If you have this acceptance that, like your own house, there's always going to be maintenance. In fact, I would think generally that, I don't know what percentage, but a lot of the investment properties are probably better maintained than the owner's own house. Mm. Because when you own a house, you can make a judgment about letting things slide for a while, you know, and we don't need to worry about that. A tenant is actually in in quite a uh, enviable position in a way that they can request things are done um, and, and get them done if the landlord's amenable to it, mm. um, probably quicker than I can get my tap changed in the bathroom or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but um, but I, I sort of think that you have to, I reckon that's the biggest thing is the maintenance, um, but not enough to scare you away. Now, I think part of our luck um, and well, I don't know if it's luck I think it's good fortune a lot of people think once they get to a certain stage maybe with property investing or share investing and things have gone well they actually fool themselves into thinking it was something that they did well that might explain a little part of it but I'm very much of the way of thinking that good fortune has played a lot in in our situation you know we've 
we've been fortunate that we've lived through a time where there's been property price increases, you know, so mm. that, that's worked in our favour. Um, we've lived in a time where property prices didn't seem so unrealistic. Um, but one of the biggest benefits is the fact that Ralph is a uh, hands-on person mm. and a builder. And so the maintenance issue has been very containable by us. And he has that knowledge of the building industry. So going back to the story we were talking about before, which was about the meter box, he knows instantly um, if, if a price seems unrealistic. Yeah. Um, so, but if I was on my own and I didn't have the, the Ralph side of things, um, from what I know now, I would make sure, I think a lot of it's to do with people around you that you can trust so that, you know, through through the real estate, who will organise a lot of or most of your um, things if they, they need to be done. If you've got confidence in the real estate, and the other thing too about the three quotes, I think is is a necessity for someone who doesn't know that much and isn't hands on about maintenance, just just to keep people on the straight and narrow. Yeah. Mm. If I was looking back about the maintenance thing. I think the most important thing, as Michelle mentioned, is tap washers and running toilets. Mm. You've got to get a good plumber. Yeah. You get a good plumber and, or a fair and reasonable plumber and a fair and reasonable electrician, and I think half your maintenance problems are solved. Yeah. Whereas you get you get an electrician that says, I'm going to charge you $200 for a service call and, and, and you know, per 15 minutes or something, they think, oh, that's just ridiculous. So anyway, that's yeah. my advice. Get a good plumber and get a good electrician. <laughs> yeah. And um, and tell me, oh. yeah. I was just going to say, how Sorry. do you, um, you know, it's changed a lot the way the the process is done. Obviously, even just oh gosh, even with COVID, but let's just go back a decade with technology and the way properties are managed yeah. and the way rents are dispersed. How has it changed being a landlord in the last ten years? Okay, well, I suppose I can go back even a bit further than that where we used to, for a little while, try and do some property management on our own before we decided or we realised that you're better off to have a, a team of um, professionals and experts around you for all sorts of different things. Um, so probably the biggest change has been, well, the best change that I've noticed is that we get paid uh, the rent weekly. Mm -hmm. That is by far and away the best change that has happened because for years, um, and I mean it just used to go into uh, into your bank account, but it was a monthly payment. And uh, I find that the way that it's done now weekly, where um, you also get you know a printout at the end of the financial year, and all that information is just there to pass on the accountant, has been uh, has been really good. We have um, some long-term ten long-term tenants who still like to write a check. Um, now that in itself, I suppose, can be um, uh, a bit challenging for the real estate. I'm not sure how you you manage that, but I, I probably think um, it, it's interesting that um, the world seems to move so fast now. And technology is certainly a part of everything that happens, you know, because even if you look at the, the ability to email um, re real estate when there's a problem or you've got a question, you know, um, I think that's, that's improved things as well. But I think there's also has to always be this recognition that everyone in the world isn't at the same position in their life 
And just because people might be older and used to doing things in a certain way, then that just has to be provided for because, um, you know, change is quite a daunting thing. So you still want to write a check, you know, that's, that's just that person's way of doing things. Um, and gradually, I suppose, you can bring people around to embracing technology a bit more. But in another way, um, maybe it's never going to happen. And so we just have to find, you just have to find ways to work around that if people aren't techno- technologically adept um, and have the means even to be able to use technology. But from a, um, an owner's point of view, I certainly think that uh, it, has impro- it has improved things. Mm. The technology, yes, yeah, very good, very handy, very fast. But I would still prefer, and I'm, I'm sitting here at the table here, and I've got a diary. Yeah. Um, that just that we keep handy that you just write things down. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Um, and actually, speaking about um, maintenance, just going back to maintenance, if you're an owner, um, I think a really good thing to do is to have, whichever way you diarise things, whether it's through a technological platform or whether it's in pen and paper, to have everything written down as a list, you know, make sure all your dockets are either photographed or whatever, to have that um, collation of information becomes really, really useful. Um, not only at tax time, but also just generally through the life of your ownership of the property as well. Yeah. And the, the other thing about maintenance and purchasing, I remember we we haven't bought place because there were too many fences. <laughs> we said, oh, we can't afford the fences. There's too many. The boundary's too long or the fence is too old. So it's funny how things do change what you look at, but fences are an important thing to look at. Oh, I fully think. But you are, and, and the other thing too that you don't take into a lot of consideration is how old is the hot water service. Mm. So there's, there's two simple things that people seem to ignore pretty quickly that you think, oh yeah, there's a bit of wire down the back, a bit of corrugated iron. But as soon as you buy the place, I can guarantee you the neighbour will say, how about we put a fence up? So you're up for money straight away. And I, I think it scares me how many hot water services we've bought over the years because. It is one of the things you don't really look at when you're purchasing a property is, one, what size is the hot water service? Is it suitable for two people, four people, six people? And and, and we've, we've read it places before where people run up and said, oh, we're running out of hot water, but there's two people on the lease, but there's five people living there. <laughs> uh, so hot water services and fences is something I would look at. If I'm you're okay. And how... Actually, also, I was just going to say, um, Carly, that um, when you're talking about as a first-home investor, what's something else to consider, I think um, having someone that you trust that knows something about building to come and do a pre-purchase inspection is absolutely necessary. Now, you can do this you can do this through more formal channels and they'll give you a nice printout, you know, and everything looks professional and everything and they'll just follow a sort of ticker box formula but if you know a builder or someone who's familiar with houses in general, I think it's worth its um, proverbial weight in gold. Mm. And Ralph used to get asked all the time from people, um, not just investment properties, you know, but if they were thinking about purchasing a house, you know, would, would he mind coming having a look at it and giving them some informal feedback? And Ralph used to end up feeling like he was sort of 
a bit of a wet sock and raining on their excitement on the parade, you know, sort of because people often in the situation where they get their heart set on a property don't want to see the potential problem. Yes. So when people would say, well, look, I'm not here to do you any favours. I'm actually going to tell you what I think are all the potential cost factors you're going to run into. And um, <laughs> sometimes people used to be quite quite disappointed that he wasn't as excited as they were about the prospect of it. Yeah, but to have an inspection where someone can um, point things out to you, if, if you want to buy an investment property but you don't have that knowledge yourself, well then pay someone or, or give them a carton of beer or something, you know. But uh, certainly get someone to give you some feedback um, about, about the place because yeah. it might save a lot of problems down, down the track. Yeah, that's great advice. And um, yeah. I just wanted to ask, how do you actually choose tenants now? How how do you go about, um, how have you always chosen your tenants? Okay, so we rely on the expertise of the real estate and uh, the team at the real estate. So we think that that's vastly improved over the last, you know, five years, I suppose. Um whereby the application comes in, a written application comes in by prospective tenants. They're screened, those applications are screened and um, by the real estate, the um, people that they think would best fit our situation are then presented to us. So we have the opportunity to discuss that with, with our property manager and uh, and also for us then to make the, the ultimate decision. So the process of application, screening, advice, we find really successful. So a lot of the choosing of tenants is actually done even before it gets to us mm. as, as the owners, which I, I think works well, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and the other thing too, in t- times like this where the, the rental market is very strong, um, you might have a lot of options. But there are times and there have been times um, when you don't have, you know, you're not spoilt for choice. Mm. And sometimes we have had to adjust the, the rent um, to get a good tenant. So there's there's lots of different scenarios that can come up depending on the, I don't know, the particular economic time, you know, or, mm. or whether people are moving into an area or, or out of an area. Um, the other thing too, I suppose, about uh, when you do secure a tenant is... Um, uh, we like the idea that I think that there's um, a three-monthly inspection mm. so that there's just that sort of checking of the house to see how they're going. Um, we usually go for the six-month lease and and then if everything's fine, we're very happy to uh, to extend it to, a, to an annual lease. In fact, I, I would even think that probably one area in the real estate industry to bring in longer leases to give a, a tenant more certainty um, you know, like you can have rent increases if you need throughout the uh, throughout the tenancy. But, um, you know, so people aren't always living um, as to, oh, you know, I hope they renew the lease at the end of the 12 months. Mm. And for the owner's point of view, I think if you had a really good tenant and they said, look, we'd love to be here for as long as, you know, the children are at primary school or something like that, and that was your intention to keep it for that long then to say yes we'd be we'd be agreeable to that so but at the moment I'm I could be wrong but I get the feeling that most leases are uh, usually only a year at the most and then you just 
move on from that. Yeah. We're frightened by the fact that we've got family members that rent and they tell us they're too frightened to ask the real estate for any maintenance repairs. Mm. They're, they're, they're absolutely frightened. Now, I, I'd have to say that we've never had tenants that have been frightened to ask for anything, and I don't know that, mm. but not to our knowledge have we ever had a tenant that's been frightened. But we do hear tenants say they're too frightened in case they get kicked out of the house um, for complaining, which is a real sad state of affairs relationship-wise, um, which I don't know why why that has to be the case, you know? Yeah, yeah, and that probably goes to the basis of what makes a good relationship between the tenant, the real estate and the owner because it's sort of like a three-way um, relationship. And um, I think as long as there's open communication and that people feel secure and they're doing, you know, like the tenant's looking after the house well, we're attending to any maintenance and the real estate sort of being the in-between person to keep us both uh, informed, then you get a good scenario, you know. I think it's when the communication falls down by one of the parties, um, you know, or you could have a situation where the tenant has asked for something to be repaired and it just gets ignored. I think that leads to a breakdown of the relationship very quickly. Um, so it, it's probably... I think that you have to rely on strong communication all the time, even when there's conflict, even inevitably there's going to be, you know, somewhere along the line there'll be a difference of opinion or something like that. I think if the communication's open and respectful at all times, mm -hmm. I think most scenarios can be worked through if there's a problem. Yeah. And as mm. a landlord, are you, are you, do you usually hang on for your properties long-term or... Um, are there some that you, you sell when the time is right or for different reasons or how, what's the I'll, general formula? I'll answer that. I, I think Michelle's expecting me when I'm about <laughs> 93 to get up on the roof and get the gutters clean. Um, so we haven't sold anything yet. Michelle's got this bird of want not to sell anything. But I'm, I'm, I'm thinking maybe before I hit 90 anyway, maybe we might have to get rid of something, you know? So. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and I guess the, the legal obligations too, they would have changed over the years. Do you find it's a little bit harder being a landlord or a little bit easier with these legal obligations that have come in over the last um, few years? I think um, if we're talking legal obligations, there's some practical things, you know, such as to do with fire extinguishers if it was a commercial property or smoke alarms if it's a residential pro property. But I think that's covered for us mostly by the uh, the property managers. They, they're up to date with those things. And I know we get newsletters um, often just keeping us in, informed about what's happening in the real estate in, industry and our obligations. I think probably um, where it's changed is in terms of um, rights and responsibilities of both parties. Mm. And I feel that the rights of tenants have certainly um, been investigated and looked at um, and probably improved in a lot of ways. Um, I always feel as though if there's, if there's a problem that would need to go to a tribunal or something like that, we would just have to put our hands in the, uh, put our confidence in the hands of the process. Mm -hmm. um, we're big on process. We always think that there has to be a process for everything. 
Um, but generally, for most of the, our legal obligations, we would be advised by, by our property manager and we would seek advice about those sorts of things. So I'm, I'm not probably, through our experience, able to know what the big changes have been, but I certainly um, am aware that, you know, you have to abide by the rules of the lease. Mm. Um, and uh, and to and to also put ourselves in the hands of the property managers to keep us up to date. And um, the last question I want to talk from a landlord perspective is with um, tax depreciation schedules. And are they all? Do you find? I mean, across your properties, do you find that they're very different? They really do vary, or are they usually kind of the same? Um. We were advised by our accountant um, that, first of all, to go through the process of uh, having a uh, um, tax depreciation, uh, sorry, what was the term again? <laughs> uh, the depreciation schedule. Yeah. Yeah, to have that done. That was very strong advice from our accountant. Now, um, basically, there was, there was no new house, um, and that's a very different scenario to if it's an existing house. So in an existing house, which is in our situation, it's basically more so to do with the depreciation of certain items within the house, you know, rather than the, the capital depreciation as such. So I, I can't really talk about from a point of view of a, a new resident, um, simply that we've found um, that to go ahead with a tax depreciation schedule um, is is an advisable thing to do, yeah, okay. um, even, though, even though there is an upfront cost. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's well worth it in the long run. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that's the other thing too, um, not only with tax depreciation, but with maintenance and with a lot of other things. One of the things, even though those costs can be quite daunting if you're thinking about it, um, is to just remember that, you know, that um, they all become taxable deductions when it comes time to doing doing your tax return. So that's why making sure you have a good handle on uh, the paperwork and, and everything like that's important too. Um, yeah. Okay. Now, jumping into, you know, you obviously have these properties, so you need them managed. And I just wanted to find out, do you have one company and a few property managers that you use or do you have one property manager for everything? How do you... How do you divvy it up? How do you find it works for you? Well, we only have uh, one property manager working for us, mm -hmm. uh, as in one real estate working for us. Mm -hmm. Everything uh, is with one real estate. We found that that's, well, it's easier, I suppose, if you're only dealing with one company. And within that, uh, we have one main property manager. At, well, we actually have two property managers, I suppose. That's, that's the long and the short yeah. of it, yes. Our property manager currently is Wisebury. Um, we were with, uh, we've had different experiences with different companies over the years. Um, probably what drew us to Wisebury was we were at a stage where we were very, very, um, a high priority for us was experience. Mm. We wanted to have a property manager that had wide experience and lengthy experience um, as the main person that was looking after it. Our property. Now, we all started somewhere, didn't we? Like in our jobs and everything. So we, we also have no problem with uh, with younger people, you know, um, with people just starting out. We love the idea of, you know, 
having a relationship uh, with a property manager that's someone that's just starting out. But we also want that combination of uh, of someone that's very experienced and perhaps with someone that's just learning the ropes. And then you sort of um, and you sort of get a feeling with people in any occupation or any job. You know, straight away you can get a feeling about someone in um, the property management side of things. Do they have an intrinsic interest in property? And if, if they have, everything else just about falls into place. If it's just a job they happen to have stumbled into, it becomes really readily apparent. Um, but, but people that have started out in property and we've had contact with, if there's a sort of a, I call it a curiosity, like they'll ask us questions, they'll show an interest, they'll know which houses, they'll know where they are. They've probably driven past them to become familiar with them. They are easy to work with because they have that intrinsic passion and interest in the whole property market. Um, and then when that um, is sort of, I suppose, uh, complemented by experience, then, then you get a great property manager, you know, and also someone that's a good communicator, someone that's good with people, someone that can... Um, you know, sort of be able to negotiate well. Um, I think good communication, negotiation skills must be part of the top priority, you know, if, if you want to be a property manager. And so that's what we were seeking um, when we when we came to Wiresbridge. And tell me, is there a program or an app or something you use to keep track of what each property's doing and receipts and maintenance and... I mean, you mentioned before you have a diary, but is there is there something else you would recommend for people who are juggling a few a few properties? How to keep track of of what each one is doing and where they're at? Well, this might seem quite naive after all those years, but my uh, my record keeping is not connected to the <laughs> app at all. As I tell you, it might be after this conversation because I uh, I tend to collate everything. Uh, on a computer, but not necessarily using a specific app. So I might investigate that. We do, um, I mean, we do use uh, a, an app just to keep track of, uh, you know, what uh, what prices, you know, the recommended prices for things, just to, so that you've got a bit of an indication as to how things are travelling along, but not a comprehensive app as such that where you can put all your information in the one thing. So there's a job to do. See, after all these years, there's always something to learn. Yeah. I think I think too because we've been long term, more superannuation in property and not super um, cash wise. Um, I think because we've ridden the highs and lows, we've been in a position where because the long term, you'd have to say that every property obviously has gone up in value. So we've never really needed to think, oh, wow, I just spent $5,000 on that property or I just spent $10,000. Wow, what a waste. And you think, how long, how much rent do you need to pick up $10,000? But over the long term, as an example, the first house we bought probably for, say, 105000 is now, you know, obviously worth, you know, five or 600000 so the maintenance in all those years has been, you know, there was no real need to keep your, you know, dot, dot your eyes 
and cross your T's and thinking, oh, am I making money? Am I losing? Is this worthwhile? But if you're trying to do a short-term investment, I think you'd really have to keep a, a log, a better log or a better idea on how much this is actually costing you fees and taxes and mm-hmm. everything else that goes with that. Um, we do have files on each property. And I I think when I drive around and look at properties, I'll quite often say to Michelle, oh, look, we're, gonna, we're up for gutters on that place. Look, the gutters need doing. or And, and then we'll know, okay, we're up for X amount of dollars on that one. Um, but we don't definitely don't budget specifically for that. But mm-hmm. we've also been in the position of being long-term investors where the inflation over the years, and I mean years, has allowed us that luxury not to have the budget. Whereas if you're only in there for, say, five years and prices are stagnant, you could be in a bit of difficulty thinking, I'm just throwing money away. Mm. But if you can write out the, the, the stagnant times, the better times, like what we are now, like everyone's saying, well, why aren't you selling? Why aren't you selling? Well, we, we could, but then why? Mm. Um, so you know, we, we might have to wait for the next boom rather, rather, you know. So. Yeah. And I was thinking of something um, before, um, too. I think it was when we were talking about what would you say to a first person that's going to invest. Um, there's a lot of people that can take your ideas and your dreams and absolutely ruin them. Mm. You know what I mean? So there can... People might think they're giving you well-meaning advice. You know, why would you do that? It's not a good time to buy property. Oh, you know, you're better off to invest in shares or Bitcoin or ostrich farms or God knows what. I would probably say from our experiences, um, you can listen to people, but have confidence in your own knowledge. And this is where it goes back to the education thing. Because um, what other people say to you can have an impact on your plans. And that's why I sort of think, yes, listen to what other people say, but make sure you base your decisions on your knowledge and perhaps put a lot of trust in, find someone that knows, you know, that you trust that knows about the property market and you know, you know you'll get an, an honest response from. Because... Um, I think sometimes you feel a bit lonely as though you're going going it on your own. Have I made a right decision? Have I not made a, a good you know a good decision? But over time, and I think property is is a an investment that does take time, and so it's actually quite a boring investment. You know, there's no fist pumping and there's no you know sort of watching shares go up overnight or anything like that. It's almost like this small incremental thing that can just stand still for ages and then just gradually increase. So, um, yeah, I just think not listening to the who we call the naysayers and the poo-pooers is a good, is a good yeah. thing as well. Yeah. No, that's great mm. advice. And, yeah. um, and my very last question is being, uh, being locals, where, where mm-hmm. is your favourite place on the Central Coast to visit or to, to go? We're in lockdown, so we're going to say Nora Head. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? A lot of people say Nora Head whether they're in lockdown or not, so you're in a beautiful part of the world. <laughs> well, we we do. We think that uh, the walk 
around the headland or the walk out to the lighthouse is just magnificent, you know. I'd probably say coming a second because of my, um, my growing up years, I feel like going down to Avoca, Avoca Beach every now and again and uh, having a bit of nostalgia. But uh, I think really it, it would take a lot to beat. Um, walking out to the Nora Head Lighthouse as we do each morning with our dogs. Yeah. In, in saying that, when we were involved in surf lifesaving, we got to the, and plus what I used to do for a job, I, I used to do a lot of driving and doing inspections. So I used to do one end of the coast to the other. Mm. And I would have to say that the central coast is the magnificent part of the world. It, yeah. it is, you know, from, you know, I, I love Woi Woi, I love Dubai, I love Katonga, I love Pearl Beach, I, I love Kilcare, I, I, I love Avoca. There's just places all around the coast that are absolutely magnificent. You know, mm-hmm. it, it really, it is a beautiful spot. And uh, But I, I'd have to say I'm, I'm very biased towards Nora Head and um, <laughs> the involvement around the local area. Yeah. And we can walk out our door to the bush and walk down the back to the beach sort of thing into the lighthouse. It's, it's, uh, lockdown's really tough. <laughs> <laughs> oh look thank you so much for your time today it's it's been awesome thank you so much for your time today i've um my phone's nearly flat and my computer went flat <laughs> about 20 minutes ago so i've <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's been yeah, brilliant well, okay thanks see you later bye bye so that wraps up our pod with Michelle and Ralph, the three-part pod we've just done. If you did happen to miss part one and two, please jump back and listen to them. They are incredible. This episode was brought to you by Heritage Media. It was hosted by myself, Carly Eldridge. It was produced by Kieran Christie and it drops every Wednesday. Stay tuned for next week. Bye for now.